0: Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Matthew chapter 19 verses 16 through 30. A man approached him and said, Teacher, what a good thing must I do to have eternal life? Jesus said, Why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you want to enter eternal life, keep the commandments. The man said, Which ones? Then Jesus said, Don't commit murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, Don't give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as you love yourself. The young man replied, I've kept all of these. What am I still missing? Jesus said, If you want to be complete, go sell what you own and give the money to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away saddened because he had many possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I assure you that it will be very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. In fact, it's easier for a camel to squeeze through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter God's kingdom. When his disciples heard this, they were stunned. Then who can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them carefully and said, It's impossible for human beings, but all things are possible for God. Then Peter replied, Look, we've left everything and followed you. What will we have? Jesus said to them, I assure you who have followed me that when everything is made new, When the human one sits on his magnificent throne, you also will sit on 12 thrones overseeing the 12 tribes of Israel. And all who have left houses, brothers, sisters, father, mother, children, or farms because of my name will receive 100 times more and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. The word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Aaron, for reading. And uh, if I haven't met you, my name's Eric. I'm the pastor here at Trinity. We've been in a series on the Gospel of Matthew ever since Easter, calling it Jesus Unfiltered. A filter lets some things through, but the main purpose of a filter is to block things, keep them out that you don't want to get through, right? We've been asking As we've been looking at the Gospel of Matthew, how might we be doing this with Jesus? What about him and what he says it means to follow him might not be getting through to me, to us as a church? This is a crucial question for discipleship, for following Jesus. It's a crucial question for mission. As we ask the question, how might I or how might we as followers of Jesus, as Christians, be presenting or representing a filtered version of Jesus to others, not the full version, not the real version? In this story of Jesus's interaction with this man, it's known as the rich young ruler, we discover what Jesus tells us is the impossible filter. That's the title of my message this morning, The Impossible Filter. Filter is probably too weak of a word. It's probably too weak of an image for what's happening here. Jesus is talking about something that's actually much more than a filter. I brought, for show and tell, I've been waiting for the right moment to do this, one of my favorite filters in life, a coffee filter. Coffee filter keeps out, right? The coffee grounds, they don't get through. But the glorious gift of God, coffee, the liquid coffee soaked in the grounds, does get through. Now, what's happening here in this text, like I said, a filter is probably too weak of an image. This is more what Jesus is talking about here, a wall or an impenetrable barrier. So I'm going to do something cheesy, but I haven't done something cheesy in a while. So we're overdue. So this is what it's like. There's a coffee filter over there, but what's happening in this story is like this. I'm behind here. I can't get through. You can't see me. The filter that Jesus is dealing with. Okay, I know, it's cheesy. You'll you'll remember that. Trust me as long as that wall is up. Nothing about Jesus, he says. Nothing about his kingdom or this life that he says he has come to bring us can get through. And something I never realized until this week is just how significant this story is. This man in this story is the only person in all of the gospels who flat out walks away from Jesus when Jesus looks at him and says, follow me. If you've read the Gospels, you realize that when Jesus says those two words, there's something almost irresistibly powerful about that. He says that to Matthew, the tax collector. He says that to Peter. He says that to James and John, and they leave everything. And follow him. A few times people said, okay, Jesus, I will follow you, but I have something important to do. Can I do that first? But no one except this man walks away from Jesus and flat out says, no. He couldn't get past the wall. It was an impossible filter. That wasn't a cheesy trick of mine either. That was just just for the camera, I think. He couldn't get past the wall. What is The wall, what is the impossible filter? Well, if you read the story, if you're familiar with the story, you're probably able to answer that question. It's wealth. It's having many possessions. It's being a rich person. That is the wall, Jesus says, it'll be easier to squeeze a camel through the eye of a needle than it will be for a rich person to break through that wall. So... This is a great message for Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk and you know maybe Beyonce or something. Are they here? I don't know if they're here this morning. Yeah, there are two great challenges to this text. One is that it actually speaks to us. This is, this is my great challenge here this morning, to convince us that this text is for us. And two, if we can be convinced That this text is speaking to us, what response then is it calling from us? So the points are not in the bulletin. I'll be sharing those as we go, and I think we're going to be able to present them on the screen. First point this is the wrong question. The wrong question is at the beginning here. Let's see how this interaction starts. Just after Jesus, we looked at this last week, bless the little children. He said, the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these little kids, to those who are helpless and dependent and needy like little children. In verse 16, someone comes up. This someone is self-sufficient, independent, wealthy, and asks Jesus' teacher, what good must I do to have eternal life? And keep in mind that context. And we might say, that's a good question. What what good must I do to enter eternal life? That's like the best question Jesus ever got. Most of the questions that Jesus received, they were trying to trap him. They were trying to trick him. Many people were just coming to Jesus to get something from him. So this man says, I want to have eternal life. What must I do? But Jesus does not answer him in the way that we would expect at all. Jesus does not say to this man, it's simple. You just pray a prayer and trust in me. He doesn't say to this man, it's not by good works. It's by faith in me. Why? I think it's because this is the wrong question. And until this man sees that this is the wrong question, and until we see this, The wall between us and Jesus, the wall between us and life in the kingdom of Jesus is still up. How does Jesus answer him? If you look at verse 17, Jesus first questions his question, right? He says, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. Now, what does this mean? Why does Jesus say this? There's a lot of debate and discussion. If you read all the commentaries on this, what is going on? Here's what I think Jesus is saying here. I think it comes down to this. He says to this man, you are coming to me, you are coming to God as if you have the upper hand. Why are you asking me this, Jesus says. Why are you asking me this? Who do you think I am? What do you need from me? To tell you what is good, you have the Bible, you have the Ten Commandments. What good can you do? He says, God alone is good. What do you think your goodness can do for him? What do you think the good you can do can get from him? You see what's going on? Jesus is saying, do you think this is how it works? It's like this. It's like a wealthy businesswoman or a businessman coming to a deal saying, okay, let's do this deal. All right, you have something I want. Tell me how I can get it. That's the attitude of wealth. That's the attitude of a rich person saying, whatever it is, I know I can get it. Just tell me what I need to do. He's coming in confidence with bravado and swagger. And what we see here is that there is a certain attitude underneath this question, and that's the attitude that Jesus is discerning about God and about his position before God. And here is the principle, this is a really important principle, I think, if you and if I will ever be convinced that this has anything to do with us, and it's this. This man, Jesus, discerns that his position before God has been deeply formed by his economic position in life. Here is the principle. Our economic position in life powerfully shapes, unavoidably shapes, inevitably shapes, the way that we see our spiritual position before God. A person who is economically self-sufficient, successful, has a certain attitude. It goes something like this. I am in a position of power and independence and control. I succeed because of me. Those who don't succeed, you can fill in the blank. I have the resources to do what needs to be done. If there's something I want to have, I can achieve it. I can get it. That attitude is not all bad. But when this attitude shapes the way that we see our position before God, Then it becomes the impossible filter. We become the camel. And the way into life, to the kingdom, to God, is the eye of a needle. In Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, the very first line in that sermon, which I think is the key to the entire sermon, is this, "'Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven.'" In the Gospel of Luke, we read that Jesus taught, blessed are the poor, no in spirit. Matthew, blessed are the poor in spirit. Luke, blessed are the poor. These are not contradictory statements. These are complementary statements. What's happening here is Jesus is making the connection. Those who are materially poor are more naturally spiritually poor. Those who are materially well-off and successful are more naturally well-off in spirit, rich in spirit, or maybe to bring it a little bit closer home to us, we could say, we'll call it middle-class in spirit. And so the question is, well, then how can an economically rich, economically middle-class person become poor in spirit and enter into the kingdom? How can the wall come down? Well, Jesus says, it is impossible. It is impossible for this to happen for a human being. So let me pause here and just ask you to reflect. Is any of this, is anything that I said, is anything going on here about us? Or is it just about Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk and those people who he said? Those are the rich people. Now, I, I could point to stats. I'm like, can, can you even trust stats online anymore? You know, you read a stat and everyone's like, that stat's horrible or whatever. But I think we can do something, something safe here by saying if your an- annual income is somewhere around $50,000, you have more wealth than 99% of the world, even if that's off a little bit. That's the reality. So you could subtract 25000 if your annual income is $25,000. you are still in the upper 90s of the percentiles. We'll come back to that, but I want to ask you to, to answer that question. Is this story, does it have anything to do about me? Because this story is all about how God can do the impossible, namely how God can give a poor spirit to a middle class person and it starts with asking ourselves am i asking the wrong question what good must i do it's a wrong question we say often something like i'm having a, a you know a first world problem here if we have like a five star hotel and we don't get the Tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes, those who came broke into Jesus, you notice they never asked this question of Jesus. Yet they were entering in, yet they were pouring in, yet they were finding the kingdom. It's the wrong question. You may have noticed something about the specific commandments that Jesus tells this man to, to keep. He says, well, what do I need to do? Okay, keep the commandments. Which ones? Um, okay, okay. Here they are. You might notice Jesus left some out. In fact, he left half of them out. There are only five. He adds his favorite summary of the second table of the law, dealing with love of neighbor from Leviticus. But Jesus leaves out commandments 1 through 4 and commandment 10, which are about worship and idolatry, and commandment 10 about coveting. say, that's interesting. Why did Jesus leave those out? He mentions the commandments that by and large you can measure externally and observe and say, I haven't murdered anyone, I haven't committed adultery, I haven't stolen or given false witness, I've honored my parents pretty much, I'm good, right? Why does Jesus leave half the commandments out? I think Jesus is purposefully focusing in on this man's success Where he is good, where he is rich in spirit, where he is middle class in spirit, where he is succeeding, to see if, to open the door a little bit, to see if he will admit it's not enough, to see if he will change his attitude and realize he doesn't have the upper hand. It's the wrong question. Next point what's the right question? The middle, or the man says, I've kept all these. What do I still lack? This is the right question for the middle class and the rich in spirit. The question that Jesus answers directly, he answers it very clearly, and he answers it very practically. And before we get to Jesus' answer, I want to look at the question more closely. This story is known as the story of the rich young ruler. Where does that title come from? That title actually comes from taking all the gospel accounts of this story and putting them all together. This guy had everything going for him. He was rich. He had many possessions. Matthew tells us that here. He was young. Matthew's the only one to point out this was a young guy. He was not only rich, he was young. And if we look at Luke, he says, this is a ruler, which means he was a leader, which means he was successful. Most people think he was a leader in his local synagogue. So he was good and moral. In other words, this was the kind of person we all want to be. The only thing it doesn't say is that he was ripped and good-looking, but he probably was. He had everything going for him. He is the kind of person we want to be. And parents, he is the kind of person we are training our kids to be. We're giving up so much so they can have this kind of life and to put them on the path towards becoming successful and good and wealthy. And this story is for everyone Living out this script. This story is for everyone who is teaching their kids to live out this script, encouraging their friends to live out this script, believing it will bring life. This man's question is meant to wake us all up. He says, What am I missing? In other versions, he says, What do I lack? There's something missing. There's something lacking. None of it is enough. He has it all. He said, what what am I missing? What do I lack? In the gospel of Mark, if you read this story, it tells us something extra. I think it's really important about this story. In this moment, at this moment right here, at this point in the conversation, Mark says, Jesus looked at this man and he loved him. There's nothing else like that statement in all of the Gospels. He looked at the man and he loved him. You know, maybe he asked this question with a little pride. I've kept all that. What do I need to do? What else? But this seems to be the right question to Jesus. The word that this man used for lack, the word that's translated here um, in the Greek, it's, it's a word meaning need. It's translated need or destitute or falling short. It seems like he's beginning to come in poverty of spirit, that though he had everything, he was still experiencing a barrenness in his soul. And Jesus looked at him and said, I love you. And what I am about to say next is because I love you. Jesus has very difficult words when you read the gospels for the comfortable and the wealthy and the successful. A lot of hard things to say about money These are the passages in the Gospels that if we are honest, if I am honest in my life and in my experience, being a Christian, being a pastor for some 20-some years, we tend to dodge these, water them down, and excuse ourselves from these and say, that's for other people who are richer than me. And so we filter them out and we move on with life, trying to fill our lack With more success, with more possessions, with more of our own goodness. And so, hear me as we move into this next point, please. When we are honest with Jesus and say, Jesus, I've tried to live out that script, I've tried to live this good life and follow that script to be successful and good, upwardly mobile, but what what do I lack? Something is missing. Jesus looks to the person who asked that question in love, and what he says next comes from a heart of love. He says, it's so hard for you to enter my kingdom. It's impossible. There is a wall, but if you listen to what I have to say to you and not excuse yourself and not dodge this question, I can make it possible for you. I can lead you into life. That's what I want you to have. So what's the answer to the question? The wrong question, the right question. Now, let's look at the impossible answer. It's an impossible answer Jesus gives. Go, sell all your belongings. Give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. In other words, Jesus is saying, now I'm going to focus on the commandments that I left out the first time. The first and the tenth, namely. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not covet. Both of which you are not keeping, both of which are keeping you out from the kingdom and from the life that I came to give. This man's economic position was his God. The possessions themselves, the money itself is not evil. They are not bad, but what they meant to him, the place he gave them was his God. His security, his significance, his status was all wrapped up in his wealth and his goodness and his success. That was his treasure. And Jesus says, you have to give it up. You can't serve both God and money. You have to give up everything that has poisoned your spirit, that makes you proud and self-sufficient and independent, everything that keeps you middle class in spirit, and become poor literally so you can become poor spiritually. Only then can you follow me into life. And this was impossible for this man. So it says he went away, this this version says saddened. A better translation is grieving. He went away grieving. Why? I think something in him knew Jesus was right. But he couldn't do it. He couldn't let go. It was impossible for him. What about us? What about for you? It was impossible for him. Is it possible that in Jesus' answer, there is something for us, for you? Here is how this story is usually applied. If you've been a Christian for some years, you've heard sermons on this, and many of them have been great, maybe better than this one. But I've heard some sermons that have said, okay, at this point, this is a story about Jesus' interaction with a particular person. He is an individual. He has his own personal obstacle to faith to entering into the kingdom of God. He happened to be wealthy and powerful and a really good person. So his idol, his treasure for him was his wealth and all that it represented to him, all that he had made it to be in his life, his God. So Jesus, in his amazing wisdom and his amazing insight, went after this man straight to his heart, straight to his idol. And the specific application that Jesus gives here then is not for every person, because everyone has a different idol. For this guy to follow Jesus, it would have taken actually selling his possessions, giving it to the poor. That was the only way to break his heart idolatry and his trust in wealth as his God. But my idol is a different one. For me, in my heart, I have an idolatry that just requires an invisible heart sacrifice. What do you guys think about that? I think there's truth in that. But let me ask you this. Doesn't something seem a little bit off here? If we were to leave it at that, as I've studied this this week, as I've prayed through this text, I am not comfortable leaving it there as someone who is teaching this, as as your pastor. For us, we live in a place in human history where according to Jesus, it is the hardest to be saved. It is impossible to be saved, to believe and follow Jesus, and to enter into his kingdom. You know, we live in the wealthiest place with so much. If we look from a historical perspective and a global perspective, it's hard to excuse ourselves out. It's interesting that we also live at a point in human history and in a place where contentment seems to be at all-time lows. That a sense of lack is at an all-time high as we look at the sociological data around loneliness and anxiety. I have a quote here from Jeremiah Burroughs. It's in the bulletin. I can also put it up on the screen. He says, one who comes into Christ's school, this is an old Puritan author, to be instructed in the art of contentment, never attains to any great skill in it, in in contentment, until he comes to understand the burden it is that is in a prosperous condition. Friends, I'm asking you to consider whether you're carrying this burden of being in a prosperous condition. And Jesus says, if you want to be complete... Other translations say perfect. He doesn't mean morally perfect, how they never sin. Perfect here in the Bible means to be complete, to be whole, to be whole and not to lack. There's only one way, he says. Give up what you look to for success and comfort and superiority and follow me. The German pastor and theologian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he wrote about this passage in his book, um, The Cost of Discipleship. He says, yes, we're right. This passage definitely calls for an inward detachment. So he says, and that is exactly why Jesus called him to an outward literal detachment from his wealth because without that, the inward detachment was impossible. Okay. It is true. Jesus did not call everyone to do this exact same thing. In fact, some people just gave half, very wealthy people. Zacchaeus did that. He gave half of all he owned. Only this person, as far as we know, did Jesus say, sell it, give it all away. It's personalized. That is true. But Jesus did say this to all of his disciples in Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 31. Seek his kingdom and these things will be provided for you. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your father delights to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Make money bags for yourselves that won't grow old and inexhaustible treasure in heaven where no thief comes near, no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so here is what I am wrestling with, and I'm sorry, but I have to ask you to wrestle with this too. That doesn't sound like an inward heart sacrifice to me. That sounds like a literal giving up of some of what we have. Maybe not all. Maybe not half. But giving up our inward detachment. The security, the status, the significance we find in what we have and what we have accomplished. In order... That there would not be that wall between us and the kingdom of God. Is it possible that the only way you can be inwardly free from a detachment to your wealth and success and security and need for control and achievement is through actually giving up some of these things? Let me close with my final point. The wrong question. What good must I do? Wrong question. The right question, what do I lack? The impossible answer, sell it all. And the impossible response is to actually do it, to actually respond to what Jesus is saying. The man goes away. Jesus turns to his disciples and said, okay, here's what happened. What I asked this guy to do is the hardest thing to do. It's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle you may have heard that that's referring to some kind of gate in Jerusalem called the, or the needle's eye. That's not true. That's a myth. That's just a way to avoid this text. He's talking about the eye of a needle. And I looked up what a needle looks like back in the ancient Near East. And then the eye is even smaller than the eye of a needle that we use today. The smallest opening imaginable. It's easier to get a camel through that than it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Who can be saved, they asked. At this time, almost everybody thought, if you are prosperous, that is a sign of God's blessing. That is a sign of God's favor. And Jesus says, no, not at all. It is a sign of danger. And they're like, what? And Jesus says, with man, it is impossible. With God, all things are possible. It is possible by God's grace and power for the camel to get through the eye of a needle. It is possible for a rich, successful person to become poor in spirit and to respond to Jesus and to enter into life. How? How? The last two things I want to say. You must be shattered and you must surrender. If this is you, in any way, shape, or form, if you have a middle-class spirit It must be shattered, and you must surrender. In verse 30, the very last verse of this whole passage, Jesus says, the first will be last, and the last will be first. It's clear what he's saying there. He's saying, you think the rich and the prosperous are first. No, they're last. It's the poor and the broken who are first. And that shatters the middle-class spirit. This passage shatters completely the false idea of Christianity that middle class and spirit people have. It goes like this. Christianity teaches us to be good moral people who do enough good in our lives. We avoid the worst sins so that when we die, we get into heaven and live forever. And in the meantime, as we do good, God will bless us and give us good opportunities. That is exactly the faith of the rich young ruler. And that is not Christianity. Everything about that false idea of Jesus and Christianity is completely destroyed in this one story. No, Jesus says, Christianity teaches us to be humble and broken and poor in spirit. People who do good not in order to get eternal life, but because we have entered into eternal life by giving up everything that makes us proud and independent and self-sufficient in order to follow Jesus, knowing it might cost us everything. But it will be worth it no matter what. Nothing I can give up, nothing I can lose. Can even compare. It's a 100 times greater, Jesus says, what he has for us in his kingdom. Can we believe it? It all comes down to can we trust that that is true? Give up my security, give up my status, give the thing up that gives me significance, give up control. How? Well, you have to trust the one who said it. Can we trust him? Well, Christianity says he has already given up everything for you. Jesus gave up his position of glory. Jesus gave up all the riches of heaven, his status as a king, the king of all things, to become poor, to be born as a peasant, to be homeless, to die with no possessions, to die as a nobody, to be vulnerable in human flesh. Why? Why would he give up all of that? to break down the wall, to break down the wall so that we would trust him, letting go of anything that stands in the way between us and his kingdom. We must have our middle-class spirit shattered, and lastly, we must let go of anything that Jesus calls us to surrender. I just want to close with this illustration. When you're moving in, I know a number of you have moved into a some new houses. And when you're moving in, it's always an adventure to see if your stuff can get into your new house. And a lot of it depends on the size of the doorway. And so you spend all this time trying to like get the right angle to get into the house. Can we do it this way? Can we do it that way? Do we have to take it apart? And you're just like, I have to figure out how to get this thing inside. Jesus is saying here, you can enter into the kingdom of heaven life as it was meant to be but the door is very small you cannot take you cannot take your wealth as it defines you as it gives you status and significance you can only come yourself empty poor with nothing you have to leave it at the door and enter in. It's either the house or the thing that doesn't fit in the house, to enter into the kingdom, to follow Jesus into life. There will be doors in the beginning of our journey with with Jesus. There will be doors on the journey following after Jesus, especially for us who are middle class in spirit, and only you can fit. Jesus will call you to surrender what you're looking to for security, significance, and status and leave it at the door. My final thought, how can we start? How can I get a start on this? If this applies to me, what kind of response does it call for from me? Well, I can be very bold and very upfront here because Jesus doesn't say, sell all your possessions and give it to the church. So This has nothing to do with giving to Trinity or me or anything else. He says, give it to the poor. I want you to consider maybe that is the response. Maybe that's a response for you. I think right now for our church, for our compassion ministry, we're more prepared than maybe we've ever been. If anybody has a conviction of heart that says, I'm surrendering, I want to give up something. I'm holding on to it too closely. It's defining me. It's my status. It's my security. And I want to do something about this. I want to give to the poor. I think we can help you do that. You can talk to David. You can talk to our compassion team about that. You have to leave it at the door and enter it. Let's pray. Let's ask God to give us the grace for that and to do the impossible. God, we ask that you would do the impossible in us. For many of us, it's just impossible that this text has anything to do with us. We just can't hear it, and I pray for us who struggle to know, does this even speak to me? That you would make it abundantly clear that we would not be able to escape if this text is for us, that you would impress it upon our hearts, and that you would also help us to leave at the door whatever we need to leave at the door. That we would trust you, Jesus, That whatever you call us to give up, I can't even compare to you and all that you have in store for us in your kingdom. So in this time, I pray as we reflect, as we sing together, that you would help us identify and help us give up and surrender. Whatever it is that you call us to. For your glory and for your kingdom. In Christ's name, amen.